The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Carl, thanks so much. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner. Front and center this hour, surging stocks following that better-than-expected CPI, the investment committee on where your money can go from here. Joining me for the hour today. Josh Brown, Stephanie Link, Jim Labenthal, Rob Seachin. Let's check the markets. About 500 for the Dow. The S&P is above 4,500. Well, it was. It's dipped a little bit below, but nonetheless, you get the story here. Look at the Nasdaq, up better than 2%. We should show you the Russell, too, uh, because it's ripping. And rates are falling. 445, the 10-year note yield. Jim Labenthal, you deserve, you deserve the ball first. So your year-end target is 44.50, and we're above that. Now what? Target's under review. You know, there's a problem in putting a year-end target, not only that it's six weeks away, but also the internals matter here, so that, you know, I might keep the target the same place, but underneath that, uh, you can look at these cyclicals, what they're doing today, those value stocks that I've been talking about for quite some time. They've got a lot more room to run, and they may take the ball, they may take the energy out of the tech stocks. I know it's controversial, but let me just make this point and let me make it loudly, okay? Everybody who for the last year and a half has been calling an end to this economic cycle is is flat out wrong, okay? And it's time to admit that. The Fed's done. You can look at that in the Fed, uh, Fed fund futures market. You can see that in March they're actually pricing in cuts. You can look at the strength of the labor market. You can look at where the Atlanta Fed GDP now is. This cycle is not done, folks, and it's going to continue to expand as the Fed takes its foot off the brake and all that infrastructure spending and supply chain onshoring goes to the cyclical sectors, goes to earth-moving equipment and transportation in the industrials, goes to the financials that need to fund it, goes to the energy and material stocks that need to supply the raw materials going into all the infrastructure and factories. So, look, I, I'm trying to do this with humility, but I've taken a lot of crap over the last year and a half, and so I'm, I'm, I apologize if I'm being a little punchy. I got a reason to. Okay. Um, I think that's fair. I think it's fair. Is the bear case dead? <laughs> I'm going to put it to you that way, because that's what Jimmy said. He, he said it without saying it. That's okay. fine. Okay, that's the picture he painted. There's always a possibility, right? It's like we don't want to be permanent bulls, but there's reason to be bullish. And we talked about about a month and a half ago that I expected for the end of the year, short term, that I expected to see a rally. And I actually do think you're going to see a very diverse rally, a broadening out, which we are seeing today. Well, so I mean, some financials, tech, industrials, materials, discretionary. Right, right. But tech, too. You don't, want to, you, don't, you don't want to dismiss tech. So tech, as well as cyclicals, you know that that's actually my book. Mm -hmm. And it has been my book all year. And it's not been ter terrific because it hasn't been all tech. And that's what's worked. So I'm 
excited to see 493 names outside of large tech do pretty well today. Um, but I expected a rally because, A, seasonally we're in the strong period. Sentiment got really negative. GDP is running at 2.8 percent average for 2023. That's including the fourth quarter at 2.1 percent. Inflation you just cited, uh, CPI, but I was talking about PCE, unit labor costs, higher productivity. All of that fed into the inflation story and how it has peaked. And if I think that inflation has peaked, rates, I believe, have peaked. That's what we're seeing today. And so today you're actually seeing the more cyclical names do better, and that's probably because they have more leverage. Well, it's probably right? because, Rob, it's uh, this has the tone of a the Fed is done rally. <clears throat> right? Yeah, and, and, and there's certainly indication that they're at least on hold for a bit. I think the way we look at it, Scott, is we're going to be as data dependent as the Fed. I mean, this, this story may not be complete. Jimmy says it is. It might not be. There's a lot that can, that can happen. What you've been, you've been playing for, I mean, you've been the lag effect kind of cautionary tale, certainly one of them yeah. on this program. Yeah, not negative, though. We've been invested and, and, and done tremendously well I didn't use well the word negative. Year. I but, didn't use the word negative. I just said but, you've been more cautious because you've articulated your view that the lag effects from what the Fed's already done are going to eventually mm -hmm. take hold. And I think they, that possibility is still there next year. So, you know, there's no question that we're in a sweet spot. You have the, the names that have led year to date. They're, they're the largest constituents in the market, and they're unlikely to be sold going into year end. You have the support of lower rates because of Fed on pause. You've had this move down in, in interest rates, which lends support to that largest portion of the market. i got to stop you one second. Yep. Uh, can we throw up the Russell? I just want to make sure I'm looking at this right. <laughs> you got to be kidding me. Is the Russell really up 5%? Russell's up almost 5%. It's risk on. It's risk it's on. Early and, cycle. And I don't, it's I don't mean to. higher levered companies, too, because rates are coming down, so That's their funding exactly right. costs are going to go down. That's the whole theme today. That's why utilities are rallying. That's why re real estate is rallying. That's why small caps are rallying. But 5%. Yeah, but, but remember, they've gotten slaughtered. I know they've gotten it, slaughtered, but 5%. Steffi's on to something here. It's up one percent on the year, though, Scott, versus seventeen percent for the for the S and P five hundred and thirty four percent for the Nasdaq. And so it's, it's totally lag. It's, it, this is about yeah. leverage because totally. during the last two years, when everybody's been predicting an imminent recession, what these companies, whether they're cyclicals or the Russell two thousand, have been doing is they've been earning, they've been generating cash flows, and you know what they've been doing with it? They've been paying down debt. So that all these long and lagged effects that everybody's worried about in the Fed, well, this is factual. This is factual. You can look at it at the company-specific level, or you can look at it that, at the that, aggregate that level. Hang on. You can look at it at interest coverage levels. You can look at it at debt to equity across the spectrum. Yep. And what, you're, what this means is that everybody who's worried about this wide maturity wall, sure, commercial real estate, that's a worry. However, in aggregate, that <clears> maturity <throat> wall is going to have less and less of an effect because debt's been being paid I, down. I want to get, <clears throat> excuse me, I want to get Josh Brown's view. Uh, on what, what's going on here and where you think this is, um, is likely heading. So just to echo the crowd that you have on set with you, the only way you get a Russell up 5% plus on the day, it's got to be way off the highs and, and closer to the lows. You don't get these types of moves uh, after a rally. So it's not like crazy surprising to me what's been holding back the biggest gainers. on. Like look at the home builders up 7%. Look at the um, S&P real estate sector, uh, uh, XLRE, uh, up 6%. The only way you get one-day moves like that is if 
the fundamental driver of the underperformance <laughs> all of a sudden gets taken off the chessboard. And mm-hmm. the Fed is now taken off the chessboard. Uh, I don't know if these rallies will persist is what I'm trying to say. But I want to look at um, internals and the composition of the rallies because uh, they are in really good shape. 96% of the S&P 500 is advancing today. This is the biggest day for advancing within the S&P 500, like individual names. Going back to December of 2022, which was a big exhale after a nasty 20% bear market. The average reading on any given day of components in the S&P 500 being up is 51%. So we are double the average. You can't look at that and conclude it's just another normal day. So this is what we call a bread thrust. Bread thrust. This is really important. 23% of the S&P is at a 50-day high. This number is skyrocketing. It's the highest since the rally in July. Same with 52-week highs. 10% of names are at 52-week highs, highest since July. And then you go, de- you drill down. You look at small caps. Yes, it's the best day since last November. Great. But going back to November of 2018, the Russell 2000 has only had uh, 5% plus days in a single day, six other times. Five of those were off the COVID low. So this is a huge rally off of an extended um, bear market for those names. And I think when you talk about a bread thrust, what is the meaning for that on a go forward basis? Very rarely do these things melt away and we go back to a a downtrend. Right. So I think uh, it's on balance when you look at the internals and the composition of the rally, I think it's very positive. Steph, I mean, you got the S&P equal weight up near 3%. So, you know, this is about as broad as you're ever going to find uh, in a single day what's taking place today. So all the cyclical names, whether, you know, it's the bear cases, dead rally, the Fed is done rally, a combination of all of that. The cyclical and the economy is going to hold up rally. Mm -hmm. Um, Inflation is going to come down and and allow the economy to hold up without the Fed killing it. Mm -hmm. Um, Cyclical stocks, as we know, as I said, financials, industrials, materials. Now, I want to talk to you about a name that you sold. Yeah. Deer. Why? Why did you sell it? When did you sell it and why? So last Friday, I sold this and I bought something else. We'll talk about it later. later. But um, I just feel like when I saw Corteva and I saw FMC's earnings, both reported earnings, they were really pretty miserable. Um, And I do think it has to do with the uh, consumer and farmers and ag companies seeing a trade down to more private label. And while I think that Deere has a lot going for it, especially the technology, which we've talked about endlessly, I just think that the multiple is not going to expand from here given the concerns about the cycle. And I don't I'm just I don't think they're gonna miss numbers. Not like Corteva, not like FMC. It's a different animal, but I just didn't like the bigger picture setup. And I thought that there were other opportunities we'll talk about that have more upside and more tailwinds, especially for the next six to nine months. Jimmy, you still own deer. Comfortably. Um, I'm not going to get into an argument with Steffi. That's never, <laughs> I don't generally win those. However, um, I do disagree with you on this. But that, the, the, the point that I would make here is Deere is emblematic of a company that has outperformed over the last 18 to 24 months in terms of earnings surprises, in terms of just operational excellence. And the stock has not done that well. And again, emblematic of many a cyclical stock where people like me have been scratching our heads. And the only explanation for it, really, in my opinion, has been the fear of a recession. 
Um, I laid out a passionate case earlier. I hope it wasn't too passionate. I don't want to be cocky or arrogant, um, but that believing that the recession is highly, highly unlikely. And if that's the case, um, Deere and the other industrials should do well. So why do now, you think it's underperforming relative today? Because on a day like today, when cyclicals are roaring, this is not up more than the overall broader average. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not sure I'm going to read too much into that. But I think if I if I were, it's probably something that I think you were hinting at, which is that this is looked at more as an agricultural yeah. play than as opposed to a pure industrial. Of course, they have the construction arm, but it's mo- mainly looked at as an agricultural play. Those sorts of times where agriculture is looked at as a as a uh, headwind for deer usually pass quite quickly. I mean, if the economy expands, first off, we know that post-Ukraine, there needs to be replanting in other areas of the world. I mean, that was a breadbasket for Europe that has now turned into a minefield. It is an interesting point that it is, you know, dramatically underperforming on a on a huge day. I want to spin forward, though, Rob, to you on Home Depot. It's our chart of the day. Why? Because leading the Dow after earnings today, you own it. Yeah, we've owned it for a long time. You know, in the in the more recent history, it hasn't been that great of a performer. Today, it's today it's up a lot. That's that's nice. I would say over the long term, you know, it's been an enormous stock for us. And so, this is one of those names that you know has a huge free cash flow yield, uh, generates 35% returns on invested capital, trades at 18 times depressed earnings, and is still the beneficiary of a housing market that's in under supply and 90 percent of the mortgages out there remain fixed and so you know they when you when you looked numbers might not be as bad as initially feared and so the stock is ripping today as a result jim you sold it in august and in october average price 305 so we're in the right in that ballpark now yep I want, I want uh, Rob to make a lot of money on Home Depot. Let me be clear. I'm not negative on Home Depot. I saw an opportunity. Uh, the stock had hung in there really well over the last year and a half, unbelievably, after 500 basis points of rate hikes. Uh, I took my money and I moved it into Nike, which I'm, I'm really quite comfortable. I got that price uh, around 93 a couple of months ago after the last earnings. And it's just, it's just for me a relative value. Again, I hope Rob makes a lot of money. I think I'm going to make more money in Nike, which, by the way, I've well, you bought, you, today. you bought more today and yesterday yes. of NKE. Yeah. And, and it's based on the thesis that I'm not sure I made this clear earlier. The consumer is going to benefit if the Fed is done. By the way, I mean, the Fed fund futures do say right now a 28 percent chance of a rate hike in, in March of 2024. I don't know if that's right or not, but it's on the table. The point being is that inflation's coming down. The consumer is employed. That means disposable income is starting to increase as inflation comes down. If that gets augmented by rate cuts, there's going to be a lot of money to spend on Air Jordans for Jimmy, I have a question for you real quick. Isn't the market offsides from the Fed? The Fed's saying 50 50 basis points cuts next year. The market's telling you 100 basis points cut. What what are the implications of that into the calculus? Could it just be that, you know, this is a temporary pause and, you know, the Fed's back to hiking again because the economy's so strong and then we're back in the same spot that we were. And if you're not paying attention to that, if it's all clear, let's all go sing. from 9.1% to 3.2% in CPI in a year. So you're going to tell me that it's going to go back up to 9? Shelter's still uh, catching and, and down. Stephanie, I didn't say it's going back up to 9. The question is, 
Is the market disconnected from the Fed? I, I think, I think, look, first off, anybody who's predicting anything with 100% certainty is a fool. I hope I don't sound I'm like asked, I'm, I'm asking no, the I hope Fed. I don't sound there, like are I'm, there are times I'm where the Fed that. has been disconnected from reality. This is true. But, okay. but also, the shelter, shelter is catching down to market rents and continues to do so. Um, I know a lot of people, including the Fed, are focused on core and super core. I think that's absolutely silly. And I think if you get a two-handle on headline CPI, which is probably likely in the next few months, it gets hard, hard for the Fed to say, we're going to keep raising rates and put people out of work, the very same people who have put up with inflation for the last two years and cannot afford to lose their I jobs. I think the Fed has learned its lesson, too. In some respects, you have to believe that, you know, the Fed tried to lead the data. Mm-hmm. Now the data is going to lead the Fed. The Fed tried we to hope. suggest that inflation was transitory from the very beginning and admitted mistake by the, the, the chair himself. Now they're going to be data dependent. The data today suggests that they're done. Then the market is today. voting that they're done. Well, not just today, not but just today. The, the data suggests that the hikes are over. I mean, there's no reason for the Fed to hike again, is there? It depends on the data. I mean, you just a few weeks ago we were looking at a five percent number on 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 the ten year. I understand, but the, the but those who've been sitting on their hands are in the fetal position because they're so worried about the Fed ruining uh, well, I, everything. I think I think the Fed has have no watched question. the train go from station Scotty, to station can I make to a station. Point? Can I make a point? I think the Fed has faded to the background. Okay, but I don't think the lag effects of rates being still materially higher than they were two years ago are completely baked into the economic cake. And so you got to be mindful of that. I'm not saying to be negative. I'm saying to be mindful that there's still lag effects out there. Lag effects wouldn't argue for higher rates, though. They would argue for an unraveling. And everyone's worried about the uninversion. So it's the Fed is the, the. the queen is off the chessboard. That's not the concern now. Now, good news is going to be good. Bad news is going to be bad. That's where we're going to shift to because the uh, uninversion historically has been the thing that kicks the recession that we've all been worried about for two years into, into reality. So I don't, I don't think that we're going to start looking at uh, better than expected, uh, better than expected, like GDP prints and freaking out. Like, I don't think that's the game going forward. That was the game for the last 18 months. Steph, um, oh, real quick, I, I see a, a headline here, too, that I think is going to get more play. We'll have to get more on. It's just a headline that that uh, somebody has sent me that uh, Dr. Michael Burry uh, has closed his $1.6 billion S&P 500 and NASDAQ short position. He, of course, a big short fame. Hmm. Um, and, you know, when he does moves and, and they filter out, they do get talked about. So I just want to mention that. We'll try and get a little bit more for you on that. But looking ahead to retail tomorrow, yeah. Target TJX. Now, what do you think? <laughs> are you, are, how do you feel now? Well, I mean, I'm, I'm always nervous with Target, right, because you never know what you're going to get. But it's, it is down 25% year to date. It is down 60% from November of 2021, and its enterprise value is below pre-COVID levels. So there's that, right? Not to say that they don't deserve a discount to their historical multiple of 17 times forward on PE. It's at 15. They do, because they haven't executed consistently, and that's totally a departure from 
prior years from the company. But I do think that the expectations are low enough. You need a negative five, negative six, probably no worse than that in terms of same store sales. Inventory's down double digits. But I do think margins are going to be key. Operating margins at 4%, I think, would please the market. So they're able to be more profitable in, in a challenging environment. And I think gross margins are going to come down substantially, excuse me, go up substantially because freight costs are coming down substantially and inventories are also coming down and they have better pricing power. So, yep. uh, you know, look, I mean, if it comes in below six and it's down a lot, I, I think you're kind of troughing, Scott. So I'm more inclined to buy it, but I'm not really comfortable. I'm not going to sleep very well today. Let me, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, we'll see what happens with the, with, with the numbers when they come out. Now, Rob, let me just come back to you because I'm just reminded that if you, you know, if you think that this is a, a Fed is done, rally when everything's up today, right? Mm -hmm. Everything, um, including tech's having its best day. NASDAQ's having its best day since May. You got a new intraday high for the XLK. That's the tech sector. Um, All-time high, by the way. And I'm reminded when, you know, David Tepper, when the Fed came in in 09 or whenever that was, and sort of rhetorically asks the question, and I might be paraphrasing a little bit, um, what's going to go up? Everything is going to go up. Right, that was sort of the, the mindset. Mm -hmm. Now I'm, I'm wondering, well, if the Fed's done, and if the Fed is the, the most important game in town, if truly they are done, and the next move is a cut whenever that is, and not necessarily because the economic situation has deteriorated, but just because inflation has come down enough that they can actually cut, what's gonna go up? Is it going to be an everything move? Are we finally going to get that moment where tech can go up, but it's not the only thing that goes up. Yeah, and I think that would be the most healthy thing that could happen, obviously, going into going into next year. And I think that's probably the highest probability thing. But as as, as is it the highest probability? Yeah, thing? as stewards as, as stewards of capital, though, I think you have to pay attention to the risks. Well, of course, right? uh, you, you just have to, and you know they're not completely off the table. And so, how do you do that? you focus on the fundamentals of individual businesses. And I think that gets back into the conversation of being a stock picker versus just picking the market. Because you have some very big names that are drivers of market performance. But underneath the surface, there's been enormous carnage and enormous opportunity that has been created. And that's why I think that you're seeing some of these smaller names start to say, okay, if this is over, we're going to start to identify those and buy those. Well, well so, the reason why people have been paralyzed to buy things like the Russell mm -hmm. and small caps, because you got worries about regional banks, they weren't so convinced yet that the worst was over. Right. Nor were, the, were they, you know, in belief that earnings from those other stocks had troughed. It's like, if I can get it now, I can, I can probably get it lower. Now they'll probably be asking themselves the question of whether they actually can get it lower or that is the... The, the, the worst is over. To your point about things leading, you know, the biggest stocks leading. NVIDIA is going for 10 in a row today. That's that's remarkable. Stocks uh, about 500 bucks. Uh, was it back towards 400 not that long ago? Now 495. Apple's near 190. Uh, it's at it's at uh, 187. And then there's Adobe today talking about stocks other than the ones in the the headlines every minute. New 50. Adobe. Uh, added to Evercore's core ideas list. It replaces Salesforce, by the way. The target goes to 700. Rob, you own that. 
new 52-week high today. Um, you know, we've owned it for a long time. Uh, you know, we added to it, doubled the weighting in July. It's up 17% since. It's uh, holding in our long-term quality growth portfolio. I mean, listen, they make leading software solutions for the business enterprise. It's a defensive grower, but it has upside optionality through generative AI. I think it's a, a very interesting name here. All right, we, uh, we're going to take our first break. Uh, we're 22 minutes in. And we have the S&P 500 just about at 4,500. It was above that level. It's come down just a bit, but uh, stocks are having a great day, as we just said. Russell 2000 up near 5%. And straight ahead, utilities are also surging. That sector is having its one of its best days of the year. One of our committee members, Steph, alluded to it uh, that she had made another move. We'll tell you the name. We'll trade it, and we'll do it next. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one, which means we do the little things right so that we can keep our promises and you can keep yours too. That's what drives us. To learn how OD can help your business keep its promises, visit odfl.com. Old Dominion, helping the world keep promises. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Well, we're back. Utilities, also one of the best performing sectors today, on pace for the best day in nearly one year. It leads me to you, Steph, again, because you have a new buy. It's Qantas Services. PWR is the ticker. And it was my final trade last week. So um, I think this is a wonderful company, but um, it's never been, it's been always too, too expensive for me. So the stock has pulled back, though, recently about 22% from its highs on concerns about utility capex coming down. 58% of their business and their revenue mix is, are the utilities, Nextera being the biggest customer. Um, and I actually think it's overdone. Uh, this is an onshoring play. This is an EV penetration play. Uh, this is a grid uh, getting more modern upgrading play. And uh, they have raised estimates three times this year alone, and their backlog has grown substantially. Uh, so I think it's not ever really cheap, but it is a way to get all of these various different themes. Um, and I just think back to the deer cell, I just think there's much more upside, and the tailwinds to onshoring are so much greater at this point in time. Okay. So what about utilities, which were in the news every day for a minute in a bad way, Jimmy? Yeah. Uh, they got hammered for something like nine or 10 or 11 straight days. No one wanted to touch those things as rates made that, you know, historic move uh, higher. What about now? You own PG&E. 
Yeah, that's a very specific company within the space. Uh, something that's going on in California with them where they're burying a lot of the lines that used to cause fires. Um, and remember, the company had a real bad time financially coming out of those fires. Uh, very well run right now. Um, and the grid, the grid, excuse me, the grid in California should be expanding with the continued expansion of electric vehicles. But as for the space overall, I mean, that's a specific name I like. The space overall doesn't excite me that much. Um, I know it will probably do well Who's as rates excited? continue to come down. Who's ever excited Good that question. much by I'm, utilities? I'm glad you asked that question. The people who are excited by it are the people who are fearful that the market is going to go down. This is a classic defensive sector. I, I think I've made it clear that's not my position, so I can't really get excited about utilities if I'm bullish. Rate, but the most interest rate sensitive sector. So the, the, if you do a, think a, that rates have valid point. Then, then these stocks perfectly are going to go. Perfectly valid point. I just see better gains elsewhere. I just can't get excited. That's all. Can't get excited. No, but I mean, you know, if, if you're looking to sort of hedge your bets within the stock market, where are you going to do it? If you get excited about any defensive no, no, no. place? That's very well put. If you are looking to hedge your bets in the stock market, that's what utilities traditionally are. If you think there is growth ahead, if you think stock prices are undervalued as I do, you probably don't want to have your capital tied up in a defensive sector. We going back to all in, Jim? Jimmy the Bull, I like that. It's like something. I like all know, in, Jim, go, better. Go to Rayo's tonight or something? I like all in, Jim, better. Okay. I may, I may make that one stick for a little bit. It sounds like you're trending that way, brother. Uh, enthusiastic. Rob, Vistra Energy, that's yours. Yes, uh, a very small weighting for us. We don't have a lot of utility exposure. It's not the, the nature of what we do. It's a Texas-based energy company, one of the largest power generators in the U.S. It happens to be cheap from a PE standpoint, it has a 20% free cash flow yield and a 2.5% two, two dividend. So you can tell we were starting to look for some places to hide, maybe a little too early. Yeah. Josh, you used to own Nextera. You sold it, you know, I don't know, six, seven weeks ago, something like that, maybe five or so. Uh, what about utilities here? Yeah. If rates are going to make this move lower. I mean, what a move today. Well, so I own the biggest and best utility of them all, but it's buried within Berkshire Hathaway B shares. I think I thought you were going there. Well, Berkshire is uh, double the performance of the S&P 500 over the last three years. Don't tell anyone, um, but the the 99-year-old is is beating uh, is is beating most active stock pickers again over the last 36 months. You see Berkshire up more than 50 percent, the S&P up like 28. Um, I wouldn't say the utility is one of the bigger drivers within Berkshire, but I think on a standalone basis, if it mm -hmm. were publicly traded, it would be the second largest utility in the country. And there's definitely a lot of cash flows coming from there. So that's my exposure right now to the space. I know there's a lot of stock pickety talk going on, but truthfully, if you look at the median uh, utility stock, they're pretty much going to do within a very narrow band what the XLU does. So if you feel a need to play catch up, but you don't have time to research the space and pick a name, you can own the S&P index. It's fine. All right, let's get the headlines now uh, with Bertha Coombs. Hi, Bertha. Hi, Scott. The head of the International Committee of the Red Cross is planning to meet with the families of Israeli hostages today. Officials say the parties are meeting at the group's headquarters in Geneva. The Red Cross stressed that it has played a role, a vital role, in negotiations of the release of some of those hostages over the last few weeks. Here at home, officials suspect that a freeway fire in Los Angeles was likely arson. 
Governor Gavin Newsom urged the public to come forward with any information while officials continue investigating who was responsible for the blaze underneath the 10 freeway. The flames damaged part of the major thoroughfare over the weekend. The area is still closed, clogging traffic and forcing around 300,000 drivers to find an alternative route. And a federal document shows that SpaceX could well launch its next Starship rocket as early as this Friday. The mission would take place nearly seven months after the rocket was grounded following its explosive first flight. The date is not confirmed and the company still needs approval from regulators to resume those launches. But Scott, on Twitter, Elon Musk says he's told that it should happen in time for a Friday launch. Okay, Bertha, thank you. Bertha Coombs. Up next, Mike Santoli joins us with his midday word. We'll get his take on today's market surge. There's the Dow up 459. We're back after this. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back. Senior Markets Commentator Mike Santoli joins us now with his midday word. Well, we've been here before. Yeah. Uh, this feels a little different, though, huh? Somewhat different, Scott. Yeah. In fact, we've only spent about 20 or so days this year above 4,500 on the S&P. So uh, obviously the all-time highs were almost a couple of years ago now. Uh, but it does show you that the disinflation was the, the absolute solve for most of what the market has been struggling with for a while. Um, you and I spoke near the close last night, and I think you said, you know, with the Russell or the NASDAQ 100, you know, benefit more from a cool print. And um, I think I kind of punted, but said the Russell 2000 is much more tightly wound, and you have that spring back effect. So a lot of the market underneath the headline mega caps was just not priced for a decent shot of a soft landing. All that together, along with you got a 2% tracking for fourth quarter GDP, VIX under 14 again, uh, under 15 again. You know you have the, um, you know, the year-end dynamics. That's all to the good. I do feel like now we got the chase. We got the squeeze two weeks ago. We'll see where it leads us. There's probably a now what moment ahead of us at some point. You know, you don't want to declare victory uh, on all fronts too early. But but absolutely, this is different. Look for a 90 percent upside volume day in the New York Stock Exchange. See if we get there. Yeah, Josh was talking about that. I mean, is this, do you think, what finally moves the naysayers? You know, it's part of that process. I I don't know exactly how far it would move folks, though, because I still think that it's a show-me situation for this economy to prove that it's not going to decelerate too much going into next year. Uh, It makes all the sense in the world to believe your working premise should be the Fed's next move whenever it comes is probably a cut. Uh, but, you know, you don't you don't know what happens along the way to get there. So um, I think it will. It's going to brighten some moods. I think that, you know, positioning and sentiment is probably neutral coming into today. I wouldn't say it's over optimistic. Wouldn't take much to get us to uh, to frothy levels, though, if you get a little more upside from here. This definitely has a a Fed is done uh, trade about it. Right. The, no doubt. the most cyclical of play. I'm looking at materials up near 
uh, 3%. Financials are up too. We talked about utilities, Mike, as rates fall down. Uh, those go up, you know, more than more than three percent. It's kind of everywhere you look, you could make the case that this is exactly that a a soft landing. A Fed is done. The, the bear case is dead trade. Well, it's an unwind of that macro stress trade and this idea that the Fed was going to have to force the economy into a very weak position to get inflation where they wanted it. So at least there's now a, a window there where we don't have to necessarily go through that. Um, again, everything's a leap of faith to some degree on these things. Uh, and yeah, I think those cyclical areas of the market, you know, just were neglected and, uh, and people are underexposed to those themes if, if in fact they look plausible. Rob, you want to comment on, on what Mike's talking about? No, I just think he's absolutely right when he talks about a window. We have a window, and those stocks were massively oversold, and it's given us a window to well, buy but into. The, but the window, right, there was, a, there was perceived to be a window um, into the end of the year. Now you can make the case, okay, the it, window's it, a little more extends, open. Yeah. Window's it's cracked open a little no higher. No question. No question. No question. So, but... Again, I think anybody who has moved 100% to this side of the boat is, it's a soft landing. Goldilocks is here to stay. Is is like all in Jim. I think he's too all in. That's all I'm saying, okay? <laughs> Can I just say one thing real quick? And this is to you and to Mike. There is a reason for caution. Like the retailers are going to report tomorrow. I don't think their results and their commentary is going to be changed by the fact that the CPI came in. No, of course. There was already Bank of America data out right, today, which right. suggests like spending so, on clothing and the like is not great. So as enthusiastic as I am, and I'm very enthusiastic, I'm not looking for confirmation tomorrow from Mr. Cornell at Target. That's not going to happen. On the other hand, that sort of give and take is what happens at a bottom. It's, you know, you got to have some ups so, and so some that, downs. That is bottom. all about the jobs market, right? And what that looks like in the next year, what consumer strength looks like in the next year, and yeah. can it sustain? And if, the, and if the Fed's to the sideline, I say yes. Let me, uh, let, yes. Let's wrap it there. Uh, Mike, thank you. I'll see you on Closing Bell, of course. We'll talk to you again then. I've got some news coming up. Uh, that I don't want to uh, be late for. We do have breaking headlines from Chicago Fed President Austin Goolsby. We'll get his first reaction to today's CPI print. That's what I'm talking about. Steve Leisman is standing by with those details. We're back in just two minutes. Are you following the Halftime Report podcast? What are you waiting for? Look for us in your favorite podcasting app. Follow the Halftime Podcast now. Welcome back. Let's bring in Steve Leisman now as we get the first reaction, I believe, Steve, from the Fed, from someone on the Fed about that CPI report. What are we learning from Austin Goolsby here? Chicago Fed President Austin Goolsby, as you say, Scott, becoming the first Fed official to react to this morning's CPI report, said it shows progress, continues to bring down inflation, but we still have a way to go before reaching the Fed's 2% target. 
But he is pretty upbeat when he says the U.S. this year may equal the record outside of wartime or post-war time for a one-year drop in inflation and do so at full employment. He notes the last time we did this, 81 to 82, was a big drop. It came with high unemployment. He says driving the inflation decline are improvements in supply, accelerating productivity, which if it lasts can help keep inflation down and anchored inflation expectations. He says that can have strong growth in the U.S. without inflation due to the unwinding of the supply shocks. He is concerned about what he calls external shocks that could throw us, of course, also, of course, but did not list those, uh, what those shocks would be. He says the key to progress from here on inflation is housing. He says the, ex the services is going to come down. Quickly, Scott, I'll show you the, the probabilities, as you know, 100% chance or 99% chance uh, the Fed stays uh, the same. We haven't seen this in quite a while here. And then you look at the cuts. The cuts now coming seem uh, maybe as soon as May of next year, even uh, March in play as well. You can see, and just quickly, I want to show you now where the new debate's going to be, which is the amount of cuts that are priced in. For using the January 2025 contract, 100 basis points of cuts built in for next year, whereas the Fed, at least in the September uh, uh, forecast, had only 28 basis points of cut built in. So we'll see uh, who ends up being right about that, Scott. Well, maybe they'll be, you know, if they're, if they're data dependent and the data continues to move where it's going to move, um, then maybe the market isn't as offsides as that graphic that you would show would, would suggest. Now, internal shocks, um, geopolitics obviously would be one that yeah. he would presumably be thinking about and what might happen with oil prices in, in that regard, which has been really surprised, I think most would admit, where oil prices have gone since October 7th, Steve. Yeah, and, and, and I think those are exactly the, the external shocks he could be talking about. Um, and I don't know that the market is off size on that 100 basis points of cuts there, Scott. I think it's worth thinking about um, the idea that there is a lot of commentary this morning. And this is the beginning of what we've been waiting for for a long time. Two forces we've been waiting for. One is for lower wages to work the way into, in, into um, uh, lower services inflation. And the second is all of this talk about rents being down, working their way into the housing component. Both of those things seem to have happened. And the uh, thinking is that this is going to accelerate from here. Theoretically, the Fed got tighter today. Inflation came down. The Fed remained the same. The question is the extent to which the Federal Reserve in the coming months and years, if this continues, is going to respond to that and say, you know what, we don't need tighter policy here. We can maybe pull off this soft landing with modest uh, gains in unemployment and have the economy still growing at or just below potential. I'll get uh, stay with me, Steve, because I want to get a comment from um, All In Jim, who, <laughs> who declared the, the bear case over today and that the Fed was done. Right. Yeah, Steve, I got a little punchy this morning or earlier in the show. Sorry about that. But I think you've, you've been around to know why I did that. Um, I, I think, you know, the real question here is I'm, I'm watching a lot of commentary from people saying there's 100, 200 basis points of rate cuts. I don't think we need that. I mean, I think what we're talking about just for stock investors to feel enthusiastic is that you get, you know, two or three cuts of 25 basis points next year because the, the, the rate is too restrictive. If you get more than that, I mean, it really implies that something's wrong with the economy. Do you agree? I don't want to see 100 basis points. That kind of scares me. 
No, I, I agree. Um, I, I do think that the Fed, if it does so, would do so in a measured, a measured pace, in part because it's concerned about the return of inflation. Um, I still think inflation expectations are high, and the Fed's going to want to see those come down along with inflation over time. Um, the possibility, you have to think about, Jim, to add to your bull case, that we could shortly be printing an inflation number with a two-handle on it, I think is very important for the Federal Reserve because I think it's important for the public, and the Fed wants to bring the public along here. Um, there is going to be a rate the Fed will arrive at, which would be a neutral rate, but a lot of thinking right now is that that number might be higher than it had been in the past. If it had been two and a half or two percent before, maybe it's more like three or three and a half percent. So the Fed will have some work to do to bring down the funds rate to a place where it's more of more neutral. But the pace that it does so, I think, is going to be slower than the market expects. But I think the market will really get a charge out of the idea when it does start to reduce rates. You see this UBS call that the Fed's going to cut rates by 275 basis points next year, Steve? You see that today? That's what I was referring to. I did see that. (laughs) I I, I saw that. I think that's very ambitious. I think that is not. The Powell I know, I think I think Jay Powell will be much more cautious than that. He has laid down a marker that he will not be the Fed chair. He's not going to be Arthur Burns, the Fed chair that presides over either continued high inflation or a return to inflation. Sure. Uh, he has also stated that he wants to see this economy running below potential to make sure inflation is vanquished. So um, I think you'll get cuts, but I don't think you'll get ambitious cuts like that. Yeah. And, you know, the unknown is why you'll get the cuts, too. I, we have to wait. And see what happens Unless, there. of course, right. Unless Jim is right and that, and that you do so. Not not that Jim's calling for it. But mm-hmm. if, if you get those kind of cuts, the economy's in more trouble yeah. than it appears now. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Steve, thanks, as always. That's Steve Leisman, our senior economics Pleasure. reporter. All right. Still ahead, the dismal year for dividends. That group is underperforming the broader market. Is the tide about to turn? We'll get the committee's take next. All right, welcome back. Dividend stocks, they're up in today's market rally. It's been a really tough year, but spoke out today talking about how horrendous this year, Josh, has been. The 100 highest yielding stocks in the S&P had an average total return of about negative 8%. That's through last Friday. That compares to an average gain of about 9% for the 100 stocks that pay no dividend. Are we set up for a better 24? What do you make of this? Yeah, so I, I'm a big believer in mean reversion between uh, different styles of investing. So uh, dividend or yield-focused equity investing has been out of favor because if you're truly, like if you're mainly focused on the current income feature, well, you can get that with no volatility or very low volatility from a portfolio of treasuries or high-grade munis or high-grade corporate. So there's really just been no reason for the income-focused investor to be buying those stocks, very different than the previous 10-year period. Um, So these things mean revert, and I think eventually whatever valuation these types of stocks have lost relative to the overall market, they will regain, especially if any of these rate-cut forecasts end up being true um, for next year. So it's not a bad pond to fish in. I don't hate the idea. Robbie. 
So I think most of the high dividend payers are high dividend payers for a reason, because they have structural uh, issues. In our dividend portfolio, we're looking for names that can maintain and grow those, grow those dividends. And there's, there's plenty of examples. Broadcom's a huge dividend grower. Um, CNQ's a huge dividend grower that's up a lot this year. And then there's names that the fundamentals look phenomenal, like Gilead, and it's down. So, I mean, I, I think the days of 3M who haven't grown their dividends in four years, those are issue stocks, and you got to be careful with those. All right, we'll take a quick break. We'll come back. We'll do final trades on the other side. All right, welcome back. I told you, oh, I don't know, 10 or 15 minutes ago, uh, that there were reports that Dr. Michael Burry of Big Short fame had closed out his short on the S&P uh, and the Nasdaq 100. That has now been confirmed uh, by a 13F filing uh, from Scion Asset Management uh, that that was closed. Uh, also, the uh, they have now a put up they have a put position against 100,000 shares in the SOX, the Semiconductor Index. Uh, that also, according to uh, the filing, the exact value of that position not known, but wanted to give you an update there. Closing bell, John Mowry is going to be back with us. He's been among the most bullish around uh, throughout this whole process. Cameron Dawson, Lotoni, Ed Yardeni. So I hope you'll join me them. Uh, then, uh, by the way, Jimmy, a viewer liked All In Jim so much that they wrote an email to us that said, as a gift to you, they bought the domain allinjim.com. <laughs> so you can use it anytime, he says. Uh, give me a name. Josh Brown, final trade. Uh, Invitation Homes, a great dividend payer, getting a lot of love today. Okay, Rob. Name. Broadcom. Jimmy. Broadcom. Cummins. All right, good stuff. I'll see you on Closing Bell. The exchanges now. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. All opinions expressed by the Halftime Report participants are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by them on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed on this podcast as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of an opinion. Such opinions are based upon information the Halftime Report participants consider reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries warrant its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Halftime Report Disclaimer, please visit CNBC.com forward slash Halftime Report Disclaimer. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts.